Chapter Six of Shorty McCabe by Sewell Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. You didn't happen to see Pinckney at the last horse show, did you? Well, you never know him from the same ambulance fare that dropped into the studio that day. He's been on the rock for two months now, and his nerves are as steady as a truck horse. There's more meat on him too than there was. I don't have to have a dustpan ready in case I should jolt him one. But say. Next time any two-by-four chappy floats in here for a private course, I gets plans and specifications before I takes em on. No more Raja business in mine, see? There's another thing, too. I'm thinking of hiring a husky boy with a club to do the turnkey act for me. Well, maybe I can get out an injunction against myself to keep me from leaving home. What I need is a life sentence to stay in little old New York. It's the only place where things happen regular and sensible. If you see rocks flying around in the air, or a new building doing the hoochie-coochie and shedding its cornices, or manhole covers popping off, you know just what's up. Nothing but a little stick dynamite handled careless, or some mislaid gas touched off by a plumber. But the minute I let someone lead me across a ferry or beyond the Bronx, the event card is on the blink, and I'm a bunky doodle boy. Long's I don't get more than a mile from 42nd Street, I'm Professor McCabe, and the cops pass me the time of day. Outside of that, I'm a stray, and anyone that gets the fit ties a can to me. It was my mix-up with that Blenmont aggregation that stirs me up. Pickney was at the bottom of this, too. Course I can't register any kick, for when it comes to doing the hair-trigger friendship act, Pinckney's the real shookum preferred. But this was once when he slipped me a blank. Looked like being fed with a spoon, too, at the start. All I had to do was to take the 136 out to Blenmont, put in an hour with Jarvis, catch the 350 back, and charge anything I had the front to name. What's more, I kind of cottoned to Jarvis from the drop of the hat. He was waiting at the station for me with a high-wheeled cart and a couple of gingery circus horses hitched one in front of the other like two links of wiener-woist. They were trying to play leapfrog as the train comes in, but it didn't seem to worry Jarvis any more than if he was driving a pair of mail-wagon plugs. One of those big pink-and-white chaps Jarvis was with nice blue eyes and ashes of roses hair. There was a lot of them, and it was well-placed. He had sort of a soothing, easy way of talking, too, like a church organ with a soft pedal on. Me and Jarvis got acquainted right away. He said he didn't care much about the physical culture game, didn't exactly need it, and he'd been through all that before, anyway. But mother and sister wanted him to take it up again, and Pickney told him what a crackerjack I was. So he thought he might as well go in for it. He said he'd had a little hole fixed up where one could do that sort of thing, you know, and he hoped I wouldn't find it such a beastly bore, after all. Oh, he was a gent, Mr. Jarvis, but what got me was the careless way he juggled the reins over those two bobtailed nags that was doing the ragtime runaway, and him using only three fingers and touching them up with the whip. It was his lucky day, though, and we got there without an ambulance. It was something of a place to get to, yes, about a hundred and steen rooms and bath, I should say, with the back yard that must have sloped over into Connecticut some. 
That's what you get for having a grandpop who put his thumbprint on every dollar that came his way. I guess Jarvis was used to living in a place like that, though. He didn't stop to tell what anything cost or show off any of the bric-a-brac. He just led the way through seven or eight parlors and palm rooms until we fetched up in the hole he'd fixed up to exercise in. It was about three times as big as the studio here, and if there was anything missing from the outfit, I couldn't have told what it was. Flying rings, bars, rowing machine, punching bags, dumbbells. Say, with a secretary and a few wall mottos, there was the makings of a YMCA branch right on the ground. Then there was dressing rooms, a shower bath, and a tiled plunge tank like they have in these Turkish places. Lucky you don't go in strong for exercise, says I. If you did, I suppose you'd fix up Madison Square Garden. That architect was an ass, says Jarvis, but mother told him to go ahead. Fancy he thought I was a sandow, you know. Well, we gets into our gym clothes, picks out a set of kid pillars, and had just stepped out onto the rubber for a little warm-up when in sails a fluff delegation. There was a fat old one that looked as though she might be mother, a slim baby-eyed one that any piker would have played for sister, and another that I couldn't place at all. She wasn't a Fifth Avenue girl. You could tell that by the way she wore her hair bunched down on the nape of her neck. But it was a cinch she wasn't any poor relation. Lost their way going to the matinee, eh? says I. Jarvis, he gets pink clear down to his collarbone. I beg pardon, Professor, says he. It's only mother and the girls. I'll send them off. That's right, shoe em, says I. But mother wouldn't shoe any more than a trolley car. Now don't be silly about it, Jarvis, dear, she says. You know how Lady Evelyn dotes on athletics, and how your sister and I do, too. So we're just going to stay and watch you. Oh, come, mother, says Jarvis. It isn't just a thing, you know. Ask Lady Evelyn, says mother. Why, she's one of the patronesses of the Old Witch Cricket Club, and pours tea for the young men at their games. Now go ahead, Jarvis. There's a dear. He looks at me for a tip, and that gives him a hunch. But the professor, says he. Oh, Professor McCabe doesn't mind us a bit, do you now, Professor? Says sister, buttoning real coy and giddy. I can stand it if you can, says I, and she tips me a goo-goo smile that was all to the candied violets. There, says mother, now go right on as though we were not here at all, but remember not to be too rough, Jarvis, dear. I grins at that, and Jarvis, dear, looks foolisher than ever, but the ladies had settled themselves in front seats, and there didn't seem to be anything to do but play marbles or quit and go home, and say, I don't know which looked more like a stagehand caught in front of a drop, Jarvis or me. We went through some kind of motions, though, until I begin to get over being rattled. Then I tries to brace him up. Little faster with that right counter there, says I, and block more with your elbow. Ah, you're wide open, see? And I taps him once or twice. Now look out for this left lead to the face. Come, use that right a little. Tain't in a sling, is it? Footwork now, you sidestep like a truck horse. There, that's the article. Now let him come. Block, counter, guard. You see, I was doing my best to wake up a little excitement and get Jarvis to forget the audience, but it wasn't much use. About all we did was to walk around and pat each other like a pair of kittens. There'd been as much exercising in passing the plate at church. 
Mother thought it was lovely, though, and sister had that gushy look in her eyes that her kind wears after they've been to see Maud Adams. Lady Evelyn, though, didn't seem to be struck silly by our performance. She acted as though someone had been trying to sell her a gold brick. Her nose was up in the air, and she'd turned a shoulder to us, like she was wondering how long it'd be before the next act was put on. Couldn't blame her, either. That was the weakest imitation of a sparring bout I ever stood up in. But there was no stirring Jarvis. He'd got stage fright, or cold feet, or something of the kind. It wasn't that he didn't know how, for he had the tags of a good amateur about his moves, but somehow he'd been queered. So as soon as we can, we quits. Then sister gets her chance to gush. She rushes to the front and turns the baby stare on me like I was all the goods. Oh, it was just too sweet for anything, says she. Do you know, Professor, I've always wanted to see a real boxing match, but Jarvis would never let me before. He told me horrid stories about how brutal they were. Now I know they're nothing of the sort. I shall come every time you and Jarvis have one, and so will Lady Evelyn. You didn't think it was brutal, did you, Evelyn? Lady Evelyn humped her eyebrows and gave me one look. No, says she, I shouldn't call it brutal exactly. And then she swallows a polite society snicker in a way that made me mad from the ground up. Jarvis didn't lose any of that either. I got a glimpse of him turning automobile red and trying to choke himself with his tongue. It's something like the wand drill we used to do at college, says sister. Don't you like the wand drill, professor? When it ain't done too rough, I'm dead stuck on it, says I. I just knew you didn't like rough games, says she. You don't look as though you would, you know. That's right, says I. Jarvis says that once you knocked out three men in one evening, but I'm sure you weren't rude about it, she gurgles. And that's no pipe either, says I. I wouldn't be rude for money. What is a knockout anyway, says she. Why, says I, it's just pushing a feller around the platform until he's too dizzy to stand up. What fun, says sister. We makes a break for the dressing room about then, and the delegation clears out. On the way back to the station, Jarvis apologizes seven different ways and ends up by giving me the cue to the whole game. Seems that Mother's steady job in life was to get him married off to someone that suited her for a daughter-in-law. She'd been at it for five or six years, but Jarvis had always blocked the moves until Lady Evelyn shows up. I guess that he'd picked her out himself and was getting along fine when Mother begins to mix in and arrange things. Evelyn shies at that and commences to hand Jarvis the frappéd smile. This little visit to the sparring exhibition the old lady had planned for Evelyn's special benefit. But hang it all, says Jarvis. I couldn't stand up there and show off like a Sunday schoolboy spouting a piece. Made me feel like a silly ass, you know. You look the part, says I. About one more of those stunts and Lady Evelyn will want to adopt the two of us. No more, says he. She must think I'm a milksop. Why, she's got brothers that are officers in the British Army, fellows who get themselves shot and win medals and all that sort of thing. Well, I was sorry for Jarvis, for the girl was a good looker, all right, and they'd have made it up fine. But I'm no shotchin. Physical culture's my game, and I ain't taking on no marriage bureau as a sideline. 
so we shook hands and called it a cancelled contract and jarvis jerks those circus horses out of the bow knot and rounds the corner on one wheel while i climbs aboard the choo-choo cars and gets back near broadway i wasn't looking to run across jarvis again seeing as how me and him has our own particular sets but twasn't more than three days before he shows up at the studio he was looking down and out too dropped in for a real rough game of pussy wants a corner says i or shall we make it a ring around the rosy i say now shorty says he if you'd had it rubbed in as hard as i have you'd let up hoid from lady evelyn says i he kind of groaned and fell into a chair i tried to tell her about it says he but she wouldn't listen to a word she only asked if you were a professor of dancing holy chee says i say you tell her from me that i'm a cloak model and i'm proud of it dancing master eh you stand for a josh like that hang me if i do says he jumping up and measuring off three foot steps across the floor the lady evelyn's going back to england in a few days but before she leaves i wanted to have a chance to well to see that i'm not the sort she thinks i am and i want you to help me out professor ah say you got the wrong transfer says i i'm nothing but a dub at anything like that what you want is to get clyde fitch to build you a nice little one-act scene where you can play leading gent to her leading lady you're mistaken shorty says he i'm not putting up a game no heroics for me i'm just a plain ordinary chump and willing to let it go at that but i'm no softy and she's got to know it there's another thing mother and sister have carried this athletic nonsense about far enough they'd like to exhibit me to all the fool women they know as a kind of modern hercules and i'm sick of it now i've got a plan that ought to cure em of that for jarvis it wasn't so slow say he ain't half so much asleep as he looks his proposition is to spring the real thing on em a five round for keeps with ring weight gloves and all the trimmings they been bothering me for more says he i haven't heard anything else since you were there and lady evelyn's been putting em up to it i'll bet a hat what do you say professor wouldn't you give it to them i sure would says i it's coming to em and i know of two likely red hook boys that's just aching to get at each other in the ring for a fifty dollar purse no no says jarvis i mean to be in this myself it's it's necessary you know oh says i lookin em over kind of curious but see here do you think you'd be good for five rounds i'm not quite in condition now says he but there was a time you know you've seen these college-trained boxers that think they're hittin real hard when their punch wouldn't dent a cheese pie we'd have to fake it some says i oh no that wouldn't do at all says jarvis this must be a genuine match i'll put up ten to one five hundred to fifty and if i stay the five rounds i get to fifty Whee says i it'd be like taking candy from a kid i couldn't do it jarvis he kind of colored up at that but he didn't go off his nut i beg pardon says he but i have an idea you know that it wouldn't be so one-sided as you think well say i made lots of easy money off an ideas just like that and when it was put up to me as a personal favor to do it i couldn't renig it did go against the grain to play myself for a long shot though 
But Jarvis wouldn't listen to anything else, claiming his weight and reach made it an even thing. So I takes him on, and we bills the go for the next afternoon. I may have to bring up Swifty Joe for a bottle holder, says I, and Swifty ain't just what you'd call parlor broke. All the better for that, says Jarvis, and I'd be much obliged if you could find another like him for my corner. Of course, there's only one Swifty. He's got a bent-in nose and lop ear and a jaw like a hippo. He's won more bouts by scaring his man stiff than any plug in the business. He'd been a champ long ago if it wasn't for a chunk of yellow in him as big as a grapefruit. No, I couldn't match up Swifty. I'd done the next best thing, though. I sent for Gorilla Quigley and gets Mike Slattery to hold the watch on us. Mike gets the hint that this was a swell joint we was going to, so he shows up in South Brooklyn evening dress, plug hat, striped shirt, and sack coat. I make him chuck the linen for a sweater, but I couldn't separate him from the shiny top piece. The gorilla always wears a swimming jersey with a celluloid dicky, so he passes muster. Anyways, when old Knee Pants, the Belmont butler, sees us lined up at the front entrance, we had him pop-eyed. He was going to ring up the police reserves when Mr. Jarvis comes out and passes us in. They're a group of 49%, says I, but you said you wanted that kind. It's all right, says he. I've explained to the ladies that a few of my friends interested in physical culture were coming up today, and that perhaps they'd better stay out, but they'll be there just the same. He got them right, too. Just as we'd fixed the ropes and got out the pails and towels, in they floats, mother beaming away like a headlight, sister all fixed ready to blow bubbles, and the Lady Evelyn with her nose sticking up in the air. Professor, will you do the honors, says Jarvis to me. And I did em. Ladies, says I, let me put you next to some sure talent. This gent with the ingrown Roman nose piece is me assistant, Swifty Joe Gallagher. He's just as handsome as he looks. Aw, cut it out, said Swifty. Back under the sink with the rest of the pipes, says I, out of the side of my mouth. Then I does another duck. And this here gooseberry blonde and the Alice Blue Joisy is Mr. Gorilla Quigley that put Gans out once. Oh, but. The other gent you may have met before, seeing as he's from one of the foist families of Brooklyn, lives under the bridge. His name's Mike Slattery. Now, if you'll excuse us, we'll get busy. As I takes my corner, I could see Mother beginning to look worried, but Sister opens a box of chocolate creams and prepares to have the time of her life. Lady Evelyn springs her log net and sizes up like we was a bunch of Buffalo Bill Indians just off the reservation. I'd forgot to tip off Slattery that there wasn't any postprandials expected of him, so the first thing I knew he was making his little ring speech, just the same as if he was announcing events at the Never Die Athletic Club. Now, gents and ladies, says he, this is a five-round go for a stay between Professor Shorty McCabe, ex-lightweight champion of the world, and another gent what goes on the cards as an unknown. It's catchweights, and the winner pulls down the whole basket of greens. There ain't going to be no hitting after the clinch, and if there's any fouls, you leave it to me. Don't come button in. It's been put up to me to keep time and referee this mix-up, and I don't want no help. You bottle holders stay in your corners till the count's over. Now are you ready? Then go. There was a squeal or two when we shed our bathrobes and steps to the middle, 
My guess is that the ladies was getting their first view of ring clothes, but I wasn't looking anywhere but at Jarvis, and say, he would have made a hit anywhere. He had just padding enough to round them out well, and not so much as to make him look ladyfied. Of course, he was a good many pounds overweight for the job he'd tackled, but he'd have looked mighty well on a poster. Honest, it seemed a shame to have to muss him. Jarvis wasn't there to stand in the limelight, though. He went right to work as though he meant business. I'd kind of figured on letting him have his own way for a couple of rounds, taking it easy and jockeying him into making a showin'. But the first thing I knows, he lands a right swing that near lifts me off my feet, and Swifty sings out to me to stop my kiddin'. Beg pardon, says Jarvis, but I'm after that fifty. If I'd a had a putty jaw, you'd a got it then, says I. Here's the twin to that. But my swipe didn't reach him by an inch, and the best I could do was to swap half-armed jolts until I got steady down again. Well, say, I wasn't more than an hour finding out that I couldn't monkey much with Jarvis. He knew how to let his weight follow the glove, and he blocked as pretty as if he was punching the bag. You didn't learn that in no college, says I, fiddling for a place to plant my left. You're quite right, says he, and he bores in like a snowplow. We steamed up a little in the second, but it was an even break at that, barring the fact that I played more for the wind and had Jarvis breathing fast when Slattery called quits. Gorilla Quigley was on to this job, though, and he gives him good advice while he was waving the towel. I can hear him coaching Jarvis to save his breath and make me do the Russian. Don't waste no time on that cast-iron mug of his, says Gorilla. All you gotta do is cover up and stay the limit. But that wasn't Jarvis's program. He begins like a bridge car rusher making for a seat, and he had me back into my corner in no time at all. We mixed it then, mixed it good and plenty. Jarvis wasn't handing out any love taps either and I didn't have beef enough to stop a hundred and eighty-pound swing without feeling the jaw. I was dizzy from him, all right, but I jumps in close and pounds away on his ribs until he gives ground. Then I comes to Nelson Crouch and rips a few crossovers in where they'd do the most good. That didn't stop him, though. Pretty soon he comes in for more. Say, I never see a guy that could look pleasanter while he was passing out hot ones. It wasn't a fighting grin, same as Terry wears, it was just a calm, steady, business-like proposition, one of the kind that goes with a sorry to trouble you, but I gotta knock your block off. Now I can grin, too, until I makes up my mind that it's time to pull the other chap's cork. But I was never up against any of this polite business before. It wins me, though. Right there I says to myself, Jarvis, if you can keep that up for two rounds more, you're welcome to win out. It was worth the money and just as I get this notion in my nut, he cuts loose with a bunch of rapid-fire jabs that have me wondering where I'd be if one landed just right. I ain't got it mapped out yet just how it happened, for about then the ladies let go a lot of squeals. But I remember stopping a facer that showed me pinwheels, and then I quits fancy boxing. We was roughing it all over the ring, and Swifty and Gorilla was yelling things, and Slattery was yelling back at him, and the muss was as pretty as any ten-dollar-a-head crowd ever paid to see, when all of a sudden Jarvis misses a swing, and I throws all I had into an uppercut. It connected with his chin dimple like a hammer on a nut. 
The next thing I knows, Swifty has the elbow lock on me from behind, and Mike is standing over Mr. Jarvis, making the count. Well, there wasn't any cheering and shouting. I didn't have to shake hands with any crazy bunch or be toted off to the dressing room on their shoulders. When I get so I can look straight, I sees Mother keeled over in a chair, and Sister fanning her with the chocolate box. And say, I felt like a lead quarter. Next I takes a squint at Lady Evelyn. She was standing up as stiff as a tin soldier on parade, with her eyes snapping and her fingers clenched. Just one of them looks was enough for me. I gets busy with the pail and goes to work on Jarvis. He was clean out, of course, but resting as easy as a baby. We was bringing him around all right when I feels a push that shoves me to one side and in rushes Lady Evelyn. She gets one arm under his neck just as he opens his eyes with that kind of a what's-the-matter-now way they has of coming back. Of course, it don't last long, that whizzy feeling, and there ain't any hurt to speak of afterward, but I reckon Lady Evelyn don't know much about knockouts. The way she hugs him up, you thought he'd been half-killed. We was all looking foolish and useless, I guess, when the lady turns to me and snaps out, Brute, I hope you're satisfied. Say, it wouldn't have been worse if I'd have been caught robbing a poor box. Thank you, ma'am, says I, and fades into the background. Go away, all of you, says she. So Swifty and the other two comes tagging along behind, and we had a little reunion in the dressing room. On the dead now, says Slattery. What was the foul? Who's claiming foul, says Swifty, bristling. Why, the lady gives it to Shorty straight, says he. Ah, go dream about it, says Swifty. She don't know a foul from a body wallop. See here, says I. You can talk all that over while you're hoofing it back to the station, and you'll do to be on your way in just four minutes by the clock, so chuck it. I ain't heard no step-lively call, said Slattery. Besides, I like the place. Well, it don't like you, says I. Mr. Jarvis and me have had enough of your roughhouse society to last us a time and a half. Now, Bunky Doodle. There was a sorehead trio for fair after that, but when I'd paid them off with a fiver extra for luck, they drops out of a window onto the lawn and pikes off like a squad of jailbreakers. I was some easier in my mind then, but I wasn't joyful at that. You see, Mr. Jarvis had treated me so white, and he was such a nice, decent chap, that I was feeling mighty cut up about giving him the quick exit right before the goil he was gone on. Sure, he'd played for it, but I could see I shouldn't have done it. Knockouts ain't in my line any more, anyway. But the spring one right before women folks, and in a swell joint like Blenmont, say, it made me feel like a last year's straw hat on the first day of June. Shorty, says I, you're a throwback. You better quit traveling with real gents and commence eating with your knife again. Here's Mr. Jarvis gets you to help him out in a little society affair, and you overdoes it so bad he can't square himself in a hundred years. Back to the junction for yours. Well, I was that grouchy I wouldn't look at myself in the glass. But I rubs down and gets into my Rialto wardrobe that I brought along in a suitcase. Then I waits for Jarvis. Oh, I didn't want to see him, but it was up to me to say my little piece. It was near an hour before he shows up, wearing his bathrobe and looking as gay as a flower shop window. On the level now, says I, before he had a show to make any play at me. If I'd known what a pinhead I was, I'd stayed in the cushion. How bad did I queer you? 
Shorty, says he, shoving out his hand. You're a brick. And cracked in the bacon, eh, says I. But you don't understand, says he. She's mine, Shorty, the Lady Evelyn. She promised to marry me. Serves you right, says I, as we shakes hands. But how does she allow to get back at me? Oh, she knows all about everything now, says Jarvis, and she wants to apologize. Say, he wasn't stringing me either. Blow me if she didn't. And sister? You're horrid, says she. Perfectly horrid. So there. Now can you beat em? But as I've said before, when it comes to figuring on what women or horses'll do, I'm a four-flusher. End of chapter 6